This is The Irrelevant, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today's episode is When Essential Became Low-Skilled. I haven't worked in a physical office in almost two years now. Chances are you too haven't been in an office for the majority of the last two years, and that's because when this whole ordeal started, we were all sent home from our jobs to minimize the contact between us to try and slow down this virus from taking over the world. Safe to say, we failed. As of the recording of this episode, there's a whole different highly infectious variant thrashing the United States and setting all kinds of infection records. But you get the feeling that now they want us back in the office, right? At least some of us. On January 4th, 2022, newly elected New York City Mayor Eric Adams told us as much, and he highlighted one particular kind of worker. My low-skilled workers, my cooks, my dishwashers, my messengers, my shoeshine people, those who work in Dunkin' Donuts, they cannot, they don't have the academic skills to sit in a corner office. That phrase really stuck out to me, low-skilled workers. Not two years ago, these workers were being called essential workers. So what happened all of a sudden that now they're low-skilled? Furthermore, what's a high-skilled worker? And are they better than low-skilled workers, or why else is Mayor Adams taking that condescending tone? So that's the subject of today's episode. The way America thinks of work, workers, and the creative class. Let's go. years ago, I saw this TikTok of people locked down in Wuhan, cheering each other on from their apartment buildings, and I thought to myself, that sucks. Three months after that, I was at home trying and failing to record my own lockdown TikToks. It was around this time that our governmental leaders came out and denoted certain workers, quote, essential workers, end quote. Because even though most of us were at home, some of us had to go out and keep the machine churning along. These were healthcare workers of all kinds, not just doctors, but pretty much anyone that worked at a hospital, which was pretty obvious. I mean, people were getting sick and we needed people to take care of them, but also included all other kinds of workers that you wouldn't actually think as like related to this pandemic at all. I'm talking about workers like truck drivers, you know, for the supply chain, they were deemed essential. Taxi drivers were deemed essential, including Uber and Lyft drivers, which is kind of ironic because Uber and Lyft doesn't consider Uber and Lyft drivers like employees, but all of a sudden now they were essential. Uh, grocery store workers were deemed essential, and we're talking all kinds from the cashiers to those stocking, pretty much anyone in a grocery store was deemed essential. Some coffee shops were deemed essential. Gas station workers were deemed essential. In places like Colorado and California, weed dispensaries were labeled essential. Childcare workers were deemed essential. And wouldn't you guess it, farm workers. Even the quote unquote illegal ones were deemed essential because it all breaks down if no one is getting food, right? So it turns out a whole lot of people were essential. And most of these essential jobs were realistically not the type of jobs that high school guidance counselors have posters of in their classrooms. 
They are difficult, unglamorous grinds, and this is why they were labeled essential. Because there was something almost heroic in people partaking in them in such a difficult time, and they were doing it for the good of all of us. I was not labeled essential. I stayed home and logged onto Microsoft Teams and argued with people over Zoom and continued to develop the buggy and of little value to society software I have made a career of doing. And so did all the people I work with. So did my entire industry. In fact, my industry thrived when workers went home. The workers themselves did pretty good. We found that working from home works when all you need to work is a computer and the internet. And when you can save time sitting in traffic commuting to work, you're a bit happier logging on to discuss the same thing you've discussed for the last three months. In fact, the industry was doing so good that many companies in the tech sector decided to just stay permanently remote from big companies like Twitter to smaller companies all around the country. And workers started leaving companies and moving back to hometowns and working from their dream locations and buying houses in Maine or whatever, because all you needed to work was the same internet and the same machine that they were in their previous job. In fact, the pandemic was framed as an accelerator of many technologies that teams had been pushing for for a long time, and software was being developed by teams in more disparate places than anywhere in the world. Everything was going well. And then this thing just kept on going. The curve never flattened. We can go into why at a later time, but two years later, we're pretty much the same or actually worse off than when we started. Except now, there's no essential workers. There's only low-skilled workers. Low-skilled workers that need to get to the job site as soon as possible. And those that don't. This divide is unfair, but it's not new. In fact, it's something that cities all around the United States have been fostering for a long time in their pursuit to fulfill ideals of modern urban design, where the ideas of one man had a stronghold on defining and reshaping the way Americans thought of work. The man I'm referring to is Richard Florida, and his idea is something he called the creative class. Richard Florida is a professor at the University of Toronto who focuses on urban studies. He's also the director of cities at the Martin Prosperity Institute, an editor at The Atlantic, and a distinguished fellow at NYU School of Professional Studies. But he's perhaps most famous for his book published in 2002 titled The Rise of the Creative Class which is the favorite book of every city planner in the United States because without it, their job probably doesn't exist. The creative class, according to Richard Florida, is the class of workers that can lift up a city economically and socially. The group of people that can sweep in and save a city that after the factories left due to globalization found itself dying slowly, which is almost every city in the United States in the early 21st century. And the professions that the creative class consists of are pretty much anything that relies on some sort of creativity to do their job. 
Um, Florida refers to people like doctors, lawyers, artists, movie producers, accountants, software engineers, and quote unquote high end salespeople like real estate brokers. Um, not only that, but he also says that the creative class consists of bohemians and he has something like a gay index in which he measures the amount of gay people in a city and that determines how successful you're going to be. Florida describes that any city that has a high concentration of this class of workers exhibits a higher level of economic development, that they foster an open and rich urban environment, which in turn attracts more of the same kind of people, which in turn attracts more money, which in turn leads to poor neighborhoods being bulldozed and mixed retail spaces with chain coffee spots popping up all over the place. Essentially, cities then tried to cater to this class by luring employers of the creative class to them by offering huge tax breaks to these employers and by having urban development zones where there's no rules and even more tax breaks. And all of that led to cities having areas of massive development and areas of massive neglect, also known as gentrification. But what Richard Florida ignored is that the economy of the United States is built on the back of low-wage labor and not on creative class labor. What he didn't recognize is that cities don't run on hipster coffee shops or real estate agents or software engineers. Cities run on restaurant workers and grocery store workers and truck drivers, and daycare workers, and social workers, and construction workers, and pretty much everything that he deemed non-creative. But through the embrace of Richard Florida's creative class thinking, cities have turned themselves into cold, cultureless replicas of each other. I mean, every city has hipster gentrified neighborhoods that look exactly the same while at the same time driving low-wage workers away from the places that made them a desirable place to begin with. The creative class Richard Florida describes is the high-skill worker to counter Mayor Eric Adams' low-skilled worker. And that's frankly a bunch of BS. If I can be totally transparent with you, if you were to drop me or any of my coworkers into any of these so-called low-skill jobs, we'd utterly fail and possibly die. That's not an exaggeration. I have an example. During the John Deere strike in 2021, when assembly line workers refused to work until their demands were met, John Deere corporate decided they'd just send in office workers to do the job, and there were injuries immediately. Literally, multiple ambulances had to rush to the John Deere plant because people were losing limbs. Even the most vilified and ignored of quote-unquote load-skilled work, farm labor, I couldn't possibly do. Honestly, I would die. I sit at a computer all day and do absolutely nothing but write trash code and argue with people. My job provides no value to society. None. I can say that confidently. Any McDonald's worker, through their providing of nourishment to people, is providing an order of magnitude way more value to society than I am. And the same goes for almost 98% of all other software developers out there. 
Come on, you think the entire team of people working on button transitions for your iPhone has provided more value to society than even one farm worker has? Let's be real. But now they're low skilled, no longer essential. And when did that change happen? It happened when the ugly truth reared its head. America is built on the back of low-wage labor. It always has. For a large part of history, it was built on the backs of no-wage labor, a.k.a. slavery. And now, two years into this pandemic, America needs people out there moving the machine along. The difference, two years later, is that government leaders are more than okay with people dying. When Richard Florida's creative class thinking took urban planning by storm, it shone a light on the idea that cities can be generators of capital more so than caretakers of its citizens. Cities and their leaders now place the needs of capital or money, investments, beyond the needs of those of the actual human beings living in them. Low-wage workers were essential when we as a society weren't sure if we were all going to die from COVID. And now, they're low-skill when it's been determined that the poor will die in larger numbers, and that's perfectly fine. So while I agree that real life must go on to a degree, I also can recognize that this system is placing the lives of people in danger. This need to produce and consume is not coming from a place of empathy, but rather from a place of greed. And I hope you can see that this is all by design. Low-wage workers need to be working so that creative class workers can go out and spend their money. Because if money is not being spent, then the entire system falls down. COVID broke the system. Almost but capitalism is fighting through. And this is what's really sad because I don't know what we, meaning you and I, who have no significant power can do, but I do know that seeing this goes a long way. What I do know is that the language of low skill or high skill or creative class is rooted in a deeply capitalistic worldview one that places what a person can consume above the actual humanity of a person. I know that there's no such thing as low skill. I know that the value society places on what I do is not real, and I shouldn't derive meaning from it or feel myself better than anyone else because of how much I get paid for what I do. I know that gentrification goes beyond just geographic places and can take place in the mind. So refuse to be gentrified in your mind. Don't refer to low skill or high skill work and value all human life independent of how much money they can spend. And lastly, I know that really the only low skill job right now is mayor. Thanks for listening. That's it for this week's episode of The Irrelevant. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks for sticking around. Uh, this year, I'm pretty excited about 
all the stuff that uh, is going to happen. So, yeah. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Share it with a friend. Share it on social networks. Follow Irrelevant Pods on Twitter. Um, and there you can be abreast of everything that happens, not just for the show, but everything on the podcast network. Keep an ear out for Irrelevant Podcast merch dropping very soon. But yeah, uh, thanks again for listening. And as always, OR4 did nothing wrong. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.